Welcome to The Paleo View. I'm bestselling author and co-creator of realeverything.com, Stacey Toth. I focus on being healthy inside and out through real life, food, and talk. I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantyne, New York Times bestselling author and creator of thepaleomom.com. I'm passionate about improving scientific literacy around public health topics. I like hashtags and bone broth. And I'm just a super nerd. Welcome back to the Paleo View. We're so excited you're here, listeners. This week, we are talking about seafood. All the seafood. All the things that people are concerned about when it comes to seafood and whether or not those concerns are legitimate. I can't even tell you how many questions we have gotten on seafood. And we actually did a show a long time ago talking specifically about mercury with seafood. So we'll put a link in the show notes. But it was time that we revisit and broaden the topic because we do talk very often about how healthful seafood is and nutrient dense it is and anti-inflammatory and healing. And so it's time to just dive in. But before we do, I want to thank our sponsor for this week. ButcherBox is back with a special seafood promo for you listeners. This is not being shared anywhere else. And it's only two weeks from when we launched this. Go ahead, Sarah. Yeah, it's a super secret. Just the (laughs) Pale of You podcast promo. Uh, so it's it's just for you listeners. So um, what you're probably thinking to yourself right now, oh, ButcherBox does those meat boxes subscription things that are really cool that I've been thinking about. But isn't that strange that they're sponsoring a podcast episode all about seafood? Well, here's why it makes all the sense in the world, because ButcherBox sells seafood. They're starting to like move into that realm. So they have uh, what is inarguably the best wild Alaskan salmon I have ever had. And you can add that to any box. You can have it as a regular. You can like one of the cool things that I like with butcher box is I get a subscription box, but then every month they'll have like special deals for subscribers. And I'll go in and look at the deals and go, Oh, this month I'll add blah, 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 chicken legs or, you know, blah, 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 some extra pastured pork chops. Like I'll, I'll go in and, and sort of, you know, see what's see what's the special deals are and like impulse by meat um but what's really cool is butcher box is now moving into offering seafood so in addition to their standing offer of super high quality wild alaskan salmon they now seasonally sell scallops and they're the best scallops ever did you know stacy that there's a difference between wet scallops and dry scallops I did not. I know there's a difference between sea scallops and base scallops. That's about as far as I get. Yeah, I did not uh, realize that um, scallops could be treated differently. So wet scallops are like on the boat. They're like removed. I don't even know if they're soaked in the solution while they're still in the shell or not, but they're like put into basically like a saltwater solution. So it helps to, um, it's basically like, the easy way 
to keep them fresh, right? So you throw them in this cold saltwater solution well, and it, it basically is like a preservative. It's probably also inflating their size so that you're paying more per pound. That's I'm exactly the thing that happens. It's like um, like wet frozen chicken versus air chilled I don't know if I'm using the right words right now because I'm all in like scallop brain, but uh, dry scallops aren't, they're like just chilled, right? So you have to, it's basically like higher maintenance to keep them fresh, but they're not like infused with all this water. So when you cook them, they don't shrink up and they have um, just a, like I'm going to say like a dirtier texture they're not chewier they're just more like substantive like they just don't have the they don't have that like i don't know mushy thing that wet scallops can have depending on how they're cooked it's not really mushy that feels like too strong of a word but you know what i'm trying to say well i know from personal experience when you're pan frying uh wet scallop and you put any sort of like glaze or sauce in there and the water comes out, it is impossible to get it to sear properly and to like absorb that sauce. So my favorite is dry sea scallops. Bay scallops are the ones that are much smaller. Anyway, we're getting off topic. The point is (laughs) you can get the good stuff. (laughs) You can get the dry sea scallops as part of your ButcherBox, um, if you're signing up for the first time with ButcherBox.com slash The Paleo View, free plus free bacon for the next two weeks. And then if you're listening after September 5th, you'll get $15 off plus free bacon. Um, so the scallop deal is only for two weeks um, for first time listeners free. But of course, if you're already a ButcherBox subscriber, you can... Still go to butcherbox.com slash the paleo view and add scallops and um, salmon and whatever other seafood they might have at this time that you're listening to it to your box, which is what I do as well. I've had their salmon um, even before we went on our road trip. We actually got a box with salmon and it was mm-hmm. really good. So, um, Thank you, ButcherBox, for sponsoring this seafood-centered show with your new seafood offerings. And I love that people can just have things delivered to their door that are high quality and affordable, and it's so convenient. We, I personally do it. I know Sarah does it. Um, and it augments the other things that we do in our life, you know, to enable proper healthy lifestyle factors with efficiency <laughs> and practicality because sometimes you just need some help. So ButcherBox is great for that. It makes the doing easier. Yes. I am really excited to jump into this week's show. I know we have a question from Alana and I'm hoping that I'm <laughs> saying that right. The- I think it's Alana. Unless she's Canadian, I think. Or it could be Elena. <laughs> oh, you know what? She's from Australia. Oh, then I think you're totally right. Alana. It's I totally think you're Alana. right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. There you go. So she submitted an amazing, very detailed question. Um, and we're going to 
save everyone from reading the whole thing. But we are going to dive into the science and the details on a lot of the questions that she has, I feel like represent most of the things that we hear from people. So um, there's going to be lots of science, but also hopefully encouraging you to think more often about seafood. I shared on social media this week, Sarah, I think you also have this rule. I think we've talked about it before that when we go out to a restaurant to eat, my rule is if oysters are in season and on the menu, I always get them (laughs) because it's like, It's a nutrient powerhouse, Uh and it's not like I'm eating raw oysters at my house all the time, you know? Shucking oysters is surprisingly harrowing work. Like, it's not just that that it, like, requires skill and muscle strength, but um, it's, I don't know, I feel like at some point I'm going to have the shucking knife slip off the oyster shell and go straight through my hand. That's a thing that happens. Yeah, it's, I, it's scary. I have it's, I have bought Matt like a special shucking knife and special gloves that he uses and he does it for me on Christmas. It's like a Christmas present for me. But other than that, I eat them out. But the reason I eat them out, especially when I'm traveling, I seek them, um, is because they're such nutrient powerhouses. So, um, but I often hear from people, but what about blah, blah, blah with seafood, mm-hmm. right? Like what about the quote-unquote dangers. So that's all what we're going to dive. Yeah, all, all the dangers. <laughs> all the dangers. Danger. I'm like imagining like danger, Will Robinson. Um, so let's jump into whether or not they're actually dangerous and what we can do about it. Yeah, actually, one of the things that I really liked about Alana's question is that um, she acknowledged that we've sort of tackled some of these questions before, like the mercury, although we'll, we'll do a, a, like a quick summary of that in the show to sort of all, you know, keep the show as comprehensive as possible, but also brought up, I think, um, some of the sort of less common, but still, you know, they're, they're the questions that are still out there on the internet. Like what about BPA in the cans for, for canned fish? And what about the BPA alternatives and all these BPA free cans? And what about the antibiotics in farmed fresh? Um, what about other, right? So if the selenium protects against the mercury, what about other heavy metals? Like are, is, is cadmium an issue? Um, and so I, what I thought we would do with Alana's question is um, really kind of take it step by step and look at um, basically every uh, pollutant um, slash processing chemical that might be introduced to fish that I could sort of think of. And there's a few that I... Um, I kind of went, well, like, okay, uh, you know, there are definitely dyes added to some like low quality fish to make it look redder. Um, we're going to like, yeah, that's, you know, obviously adding food dyes to fish is, is not cool. Um, there are times where fish, uh, farmed fish are fed, um, feed that can contain dyes in order to change the color. That's also not cool. What's a better practice is when the feed contains um, uh, phytochemical pigments like astaxanthin. So it's actually um, adding antioxidants to the fish's feed to like make this their flesh that brighter, redder color because that is a normal nutrient that they would get. That's, that's a 
a better practice. But if they, if the, if dyes are added after the fish has been uh, processed, that's going to be on the label. So let's talk about things that might not be on the label. Um, so I think, um, let's start with, let's start with mercury. Let's, let's give it the, the brief, like here's, here's the the gist. And then um, people who want to get into it in more detail can go back and listen to our uh, show that really jumped into this in more detail. So um, the, the most important thing to know about mercury is that it irreversibly binds to selenium. That's actually how the methylmercury in not just uh, seafood, but we can get exposed to it in lots of other foods. We can get exposed to it in our environment, right? If you break a compact fluorescent light bulb that has mercury in it, that's elemental mercury, but this is how mercury actually can cause us health problems is by binding with selenium-based proteins and enzymes in our body so that those proteins can't do their job. And we have a, um, that really impacts three different systems the most. So we have some really important selenium-based enzymes that are involved in thyroid hormone production. We have some really important selenium-based enzymes that are part of liver detoxification. And most importantly, we have some really important selenium-based enzymes that protect the brain against oxidative damage. And that's why there's that old phrase, like, mad as a hatter. It comes from the fact that, like, old felt manufacturer used mercury and the chronic mercury exposure for hatters actually drove them crazy. And it was through mercury binding with these selenium-based enzymes that were protecting the brain so that they couldn't protect the brain from oxidative damage anymore. So, um, you know, mercury exposure, definitely bad. But what's really important to know about seafood is that seafood is one of our best food sources of selenium. And the mercury that the fish are exposed to actually binds with selenium-based proteins in their bodies. And once it's bound with selenium, it can't bind with our selenium. It's actually not very efficiently absorbed, for starters, and it can't bind with our selenium-based protein. So if it's already bound with selenium, um, it can't um, it can't harm us. And then some of the mercury, you know, it, it basically some of it's intracellular and some of it's extracellular. So some of the mercury in fish won't be bound with selenium, but when we're consuming that fish, we're consuming almost all of the time, much more selenium than we are getting exposed to mercury, even fairly contaminated fish. Um, and even most top predators will have more selenium than mercury. The, the number of exceptions here is relatively small. Um, so that selenium that we're ingesting with the fish is actually still helping to protect us against that mercury exposure. Um, and then selenium has lots of other really important roles in the human body. It's a, it's a very you know, a very important mineral to get enough of because it helps support thyroid function, uh, neurological function, and uh, liver detoxification processes. So um, really the the surveys that have been done now have basically shown that um, with the exception of a few top predators in fairly polluted waters, there is typically um, much more selenium than um, the mercury in all ocean fish, um, and probably something like 97% of lake fish. So with the exception of fish fished in very polluted freshwater, 
um, you're still getting more selenium than mercury. So generally what that means is if you're eating something like uh, mako shark, <laughs> pilot whale, um, these, these sort of like top predator fish – don't don't do it that often, right? Um, your your body can still detoxify some of this mercury. Um, you know, we are exposed to mercury in our environment, unfortunately. So uh, we do have ways of detoxifying it. So you can handle a little bit of exposure if you're eating a healthy diet and you have a healthy lifestyle, um, especially if you don't have defects on your methylation uh, cycles. So um, a little bit here and there is not a big deal. Um, swordfish is often put on these high mercury lists. It's um, in uh, papers. It sometimes has more selenium, sometimes has more mercury, sometimes it's about the same. The difference is not huge. So, uh, swordfish basically, if it comes from clean waters, is probably um, fine. If it comes from polluted waters, might not be. Um, and again, that just makes it not a not a fish to consume daily, but still okay for occasional consumption. And so. Uh, that actually that argument I think is really interesting because you can start to expand this to other nutrients in seafood, right? So fish and shellfish are some of our best sources of zinc, which on average, 73% of Americans don't ever meet the RDA of zinc. And zinc is the, supposed to be the second most abundant mineral in the human body and uh, phenomenally important for a whole pile of functions, um, like the vitamin D receptor is a zinc-based molecule. So uh, you can have symptoms of vitamin D deficiency that's actually driven by zinc deficiency. Zinc is fundamental for barrier tissue functions, for the gut barrier, for the microbiome, for our immune function. Uh, and we're, we're getting zinc from uh, especially shellfish, right? Oysters are the best source of zinc, uh, but fish in general. Um, it's a really rich source of vitamin A, of vitamin D, <laughs> you know, of, um, you know, basically vitamins and minerals and, um, and, uh, even some really interesting phytochemicals that are in fish, uh, that are in, because of their diet, we're getting these really interesting nutrients from fish that are hard to get from other places. And also, Fish protein is the best protein for the gut microbiome. Um, there's been studies that actually show that consuming fish protein can make up for um, even like high sugar diets and stuff. Like it's that's really really interesting that fish protein supports a um, diverse gut microbiome. And then the omega threes are really important for every system in our body, for our neurological system, for our immune system, for again our gut bacteria really love omega threes. Um, so the omega-3s that we're getting from seafood are the long-chain omega-3s that our bodies can use directly without having to convert them. Um, the kinds of omega-3s we get from something like flax or chia has to be generally converted before it's really usable by our body, and that's a really inefficient process. Like, we convert about 3% of it. So fish has all of these amazing things. And so as we kind of go through some of the less-than-ideal things, it really – and I think this is Alana's question – is, like, does – does the argument for the mercury-selenium balance, does that still hold when we talk about these other potential toxins? Um, so, sure, you know, it's it's understandable that the selenium, the good of the selenium outweighs the bad of the mercury for the vast 99.9% of seafood that we're going to consume. Um, what about, like, what about other heavy metals? 
Um, and so uh, Alana actually asked about lead and cadmium uh, specifically. Um, I had a, a fun dig through the literature, and there have been some um, interesting, they're, they're like environmental impact studies that have looked at heavy metal uh, in farmed fish, right? So farmed fish are typically fished in more polluted waters. Um, and so these these studies have sort of looked at like rapid urbanization with very, very little um, environmental protections in developing countries and looked at, okay, you know, this is this, they're putting a lot of heavy metals into their environment. How is that impacting the fish that they're farming? And actually what's really interesting is that um, even in say Malaysia um, farmed fish where there's a lot of exposure to heavy metals through pollution, the levels in the fish are actually extremely low. They're still below World Health Organization guidelines. And so in places where um, there's more environmental protections, you're going to end up with, um, you know, basically levels of heavy metals that are um, f- far below any level that we would want to to worry about, given that a lot of the nutrients that we're getting from seafood are the ones that are essential for liver detoxification, which is how our bodies get rid of heavy metals. So um, the other heavy metals is, is really a... Um, a moot point. I think um, I've talked certainly in, um, you know, seminars, workshops, live events about dioxins and PCBs, which is another area of concern because they're potential carcinogens. Um, Fish, again, this is a polluted water farmed fish. So it's farmed fish um, where the the farming practices are not following following environmental guidelines. And uh, the levels in wild fish are typically extremely low. Um, But even fish is a much lower food source than meat, (laughs) than beef or chicken or pork or dairy products or even vegetables. So um, again, it's one of those interesting, you know, it's it's a pollutant, it's obviously not good. um, But fish has sort of been demonized as a source while it's actually much, much richer in nutrients that will help us detoxify and it's much lower than other foods. Um, and yet it gets all the blame. I do think it's interesting how pervasive mainstream media saying, Oh, don't do this one thing because, and then it becomes cultural assumption without the knowledge behind it. Um, I am kind of curious, though, as someone with MTHFR, um, how you feel like that plays into the natural detoxification process for people whose livers aren't detoxifying fully or as well as or whatever might have you. Yeah, what's really interesting about MTHFR is and I I it's interesting because I've been learning more about it again and feel like oh maybe there's more another podcast episode with with this topic, but the the quick form is is that um, MTHFR, MTHFR gene variants that impact MTHFR enzyme function are really only relevant in the context of B vitamin deficiencies, and if we're actually getting enough B vitamins the um, level of function of that enzyme is actually adequate to support 
all the various functions um, in the body. Now, people can have like stacked gene variants that impact function more, right? So if you have the more gene variants, if you're homozygote instead of heterozygote, if you have, um, you know, more than one, and also there's other genes in the methylation cycle um, that don't get as much recognition as MTHFR that can impact methylation cycles. So there are certainly people who do have challenges to methylation that does impact detoxification. But overall, you know, for people with C667T um, gene variant of MTHFR, which is the most common non-wild type variant, um, simply getting adequate B vitamins can completely support that system. And um, we're actually getting B vitamins from a nutrient-dense diet that includes fish and shellfish. So I would say that for most people, um, even with methylation defects, the um, the balance of concerning environmental pollutant in seafood versus the benefit that those nutrients can have for our body, it's it's still outweighed, right? We're still getting more benefit from the nutrients than potential harm. Um, if you're a person who has more of those sort of like stacked um, variants that are creating methylation defects, um, then I would definitely say, okay, well, here's the case where you're going to really want to focus on wild caught uh, and you're really going to focus on lower on the, the food chain. So what's really interesting about all of these pollutants is the, the process called biomagnification. And what that refers to is that um, the exposure to small fish that are eating, right, like, or krill, right, they're eating plankton, is is very, very low. But if you're a tuna, for example, um, that is a, like, giant fish, um, you know, they can be, like, meters long. They're, they're huge, and they're, they're carnivorous, and they're eating all of the smaller fish that are eating all of the smaller fish that are eating the krill that are eating the plankton, that the pollutants, because they are stored uh, or a large proportion of them are stored in the body, um, the higher up the food chain, the more concentrated they are because that fish is eating the, the fish that has, um, like lower levels, right. That's eating the fish that has lower levels and those levels build up in the big fish. So, um, if you're a person who, you know, your homocysteine is high, um, you know, that you've got challenges to methylation, hopefully you're working with a really good functional medicine specialist, uh, to address that. Um, but if you're that person, then eating smaller fish is a really good way to go. I mean, that's, that's where eating something like mackerel or salmon is going to be, um, a much better choice because that's cleaner, cleaner fish, um, eating fish from cleaner waters. Typically the farther North you go, typically the water is cleaner. Um, that's going to be a, a lower, um, that's going to have lower levels of, of heavy metals, lower levels of mercury. So I would say if, if you fall under that category, you know, definitely there's, there's like an optimum here and then there's a, well, okay, let's talk about the cheap fish. That's actually budget friendly. Where, where, where does this balance lie? And I think that for all of us that, you know, wild caught sustainably, um, sustainable fishing practices, lower on the food chain fish is still an amazing choice and it's super going to support our bodies, uh, for this, 
small subgroup of people that, um, you know, are, are whose detoxification systems are already super strained. Um, you're, you're going to want to necess- you're going to want to make sure that the quality of the fish that you're eating is higher. That's good to know. I have talked before about how much difference I feel uh, when I take my quote unquote B vitamin supplement, which is just liver pills. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But I think like that, that's essentially what I've come to learn about it as well, right? Like the more nutrient sufficient I am with B12, the better my, mm-hmm. my body is able to process and detox. So good to hear you reinforce those things that I've taught myself from the internet. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Sometimes what else does, that's right. What else does Elena, is that, is that how you want me to La- pronounce it? You, I mean, she's Alana. either like, Alana is how I want to pronounce it. She, you know what? She's, she's representing all of you. What questions do we have about <laughs> that? <laughs> well, th- so the other question I get about um, that really refers to, like references water pollution. So all of these things really have to do with water pollution um, is the um, cesium isotopes from Fukushima. And um, the, the, you know, the fact that they, you know, there have been levels detected in fish that were caught off of the California coast. And there's been a lot of fear mongering around um, Fukushima. And uh, Fukushima, I mean, it was second worst nuclear disaster ever after Chernobyl. Um, definitely, you know, not, not an ideal situation. Um, and it's ongoing, right? There, I saw a news story uh, just last week about how they're running out of places to put the, the water that they're bathing. Um, they're like still continuing to have to keep the cooling, the rods, and that water that has high levels of radioactive isotopes in it, they've been storing and they're running out of places to store it. So it is an ongoing challenge. Now it's been almost a decade. Well, no, it was 2005, right? So it's been almost 15 years. Um, So yes, there is a small amount of uh, cesium-134 and cesium-137 in the ocean, thanks to Fukushima. What's really important to understand is that um, there are radioactive isotopes in nature all over the place. We are exposed to them on a daily basis. If you live somewhere with high radon levels, you're exposed to more. Um, And, you know, our body is fairly resilient to these extremely low levels of exposure. The amount of uh, cesium isotopes that have been poured into the ocean, even the fish that are fished within, I think there's a... 20 mile radius or something around Fukushima where they're not allowed to fish. And now, of course, there's not a fence, right? Fish can swim in and out of that area. But even the fish from that that area, um, the most contaminated fish, the amount of radioactive isotopes in their flesh is about 2,000 times lower than the threshold for health effects. Um, and you would basically have to, this is my, like my favorite statistics, like to like, remember that this is diluted into the entire ocean. Um, the levels are, um, only detectable thanks to the, you know, amazing innovation of science and our ability to actually find, like measure these things. You would have to eat 12 ounces of contaminated bluefin tuna. That's a high level predator every single day for a year to equate to 12% of the radiation dose of one cross-country flight from LA to New York. 
So the amount here is absolutely negligible. It is um, it not in any way a concern for, for human health. Um, and that's even looking at the fish that were in, in that contaminated 20-mile radius. So um, obviously, again, terrible disaster. Would have been so much better if it hadn't happened. Um, but in terms of whether or not we need to, to worry about eating fish from the Pacific Ocean, the answer is no. Can you say that equation one more time? Like, that just blew my mind. Because what I see on the internet is pictures of, like, I don't even know how to describe the, like, deformation of creatures that it's like, this is it's coming like from... It's like Simpsons three-eyed fish. Yes. yes. <laughs> or like, you know, anyway, mutant fish. Like, and this is because of whatever. And then you just said that, and I was like, I take those flights all the time. So I just want to, like, <laughs> re reiterate what you just said. Yeah. Like, let's, let's emphasize um, that there's absolutely no... Uh, link between radiation and like fish birth defects. Um, birth defects happen across the animal kingdom, and um, there's lots of possible reasons for them, including randomness. Um, so the equation is: if you consumed 12 ounces, which is a very large portion of contaminated bluefin tuna every day for an entire year, the cumulative dose of radiation that you would consume from all of that tuna would equate to 12%, that's 12 one-hundredths of the radiation dose from one-way cross-country flight from LA to New York. I appreciate that analogy. It's so helpful. <laughs> I, I love math. Um, yes. And yes also physics because that was my bachelor's degree. So like all of this is like, Oh, you know what I learned about myself recently? Tell me. Well, and I, I feel like it will benefit everyone. So I'm just like, let me tell you about myself. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there's something called Gretchen Rubin's four tendencies. Have you heard of this? No, I think I genuinely think you will love it. Um, and there's different kinds of tendencies. And I thought I was going to be a rebel. A rebel is someone who you tell them they should do something and they give you a middle finger and they do the opposite. Yep. That sounds, uh, that sounds right. Right. Wouldn't, wouldn't you think that that would be me? Well, turns out I'm a questioner at, with rebel tendencies. Not surprising that I would be high maintenance complex, <laughs> but the questioner is someone who is like, I seek to understand I am going to ask an insane amount of questions. I'm going to do ridiculous amounts of research. And then when I feel like it's logical and makes sense and it's the right thing, then I'm gung-ho about it. But like, I need to understand it first. And it has like understanding that about myself, because once I say it out loud, I'm like, well, duh, that's totally me. Yeah. But before I like, really thought about it and took the test and, and all that stuff, I would have thought I was just a rebel. But now that I like know that about myself, it's allowed me to understand so much more about like when I do a blog post, why is it always 3000 words? <laughs> like, <laughs> why can't I just like <laughs> write something simple? Um, and it's you because know, I'm a the questioner. Good news is, the good news is 
is that um, the Google algorithm now rewards longer blog posts. So <laughs> uh, it's all it's all good. It's now this, you know, when we started and you'd see all those like your blog posts should be 500 to 800 words. Remember the olden days? Oh, yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. And like for those people that, you know, have no idea what we're talking about, essentially when you write a blog post, there's things that'll tell you whether or not it'll be easy to read or, you know, people will come to it or not. Like it's it's this predictor thing that also works with search engines to prioritize your stuff, right? And so whenever I write something, it's always read. It's always like yes. people are not going to be able to read this. Um, and so we have mine, to go back. And, too. Yes, we have to go back I and get... significantly edit it to make it a little, like a little easier. But yeah, it's I'm super happy if I can get it to orange. Yes. So anyway, so I'm what I'm telling you is Sarah and I, I I'm guaranteeing you, Sarah, you're a questioner. Um, the reason that we enjoy so much the science and the logic of math equations as we're talking about fish is because I think we're both questioners, which is interesting to me. I mean, you were saying all those things and I was like, check, check, check. <laughs> yep. Yep. I don't even know, need to know what the other two tendencies are because I don't, I don't even know if I have rebel tendencies. I think I'm like hundred percent questioner right there. But it's fascinating to, so I, I did it with the women that I work with on my team and it's super helpful to understand where someone else is coming from because then I know how they need to hear it. You know what I mean? Like it can be the exact same information, but one person needs to hear something one way and some person needs to hear it another way. So if this is completely a side topic, <laughs> but like if you're a listener right now and you're, and you want to like have better relationship with people doing these type of like personality analysis are always a great way to do it. And this one's pretty simple. It's straightforward, like, you know, four tendencies and they're easy to understand where people are coming from with those tendencies. So anyway, explaining a similar one to me, um, last month that was like colors. Yes. And it was like red people, blue people, yellow, yellow, red, blue, and white. Yes. White. I've done Um, that as well. And and with the exact same um, rationale of, you know, when you are working uh, as part of a team, and let's face it, there's very few jobs now that are completely solitary, Yeah, um, that it helps to understand what other people need for their working environment, what motivates them, how to communicate with them, right? And especially when you're in a leadership role. Um, so, tangent so for- complete. Yep. For those people who are wondering, because right now there there are the personality geeks who are like frothing at the mouth wondering what I am because I told them that I'm a questioner with rebel tendencies. I am an Enneagram 8 and I am red, which is why I thought I would definitely be rebel tendency, but I'm a questioner. And so I also lean on the blue side. And if I had to guess, Sarah, you would be blue. Um, so, and I think I think your secondary color, and this might surprise people, I think it's yellow because you really like to have fun. Like you, from what I know about you, I think that that's what I would guess. So can I tell you, a, 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 we're on this tangent already. Can I tell you a funny story? Uh, I was at the playground with my kids uh, not that long ago, in the spring, I guess. And um, we were uh, racing. There, there's like uh, racing slides. There's like two slides. You're supposed to obviously race down, but we were racing by running up. And I was completely like, there was nobody else on this playground. So I was just playing with my kids and we were just having fun. And this other um, mom came up with her kids. And then I started chatting with the mom and like all the kids were playing. 
And the mom said, um, oh, you young parents have so much energy. And I went, <laughs> uh, how old do you think I am? <laughs> and like, she thought I was 10 years younger than I am. Um, and uh, I didn't feel the necessity to correct her. <laughs> but I thought it was really interesting. Just because, to thank you. Yes. I was like, I, I said, um, super... Um, I, I mean, I basically said, uh, you know, oh, that's, you know, I'm super flattered or something like that. But, um, but I thought it was interesting because it wasn't a judgment made on my, you know, beautiful skin or anything like that. It was a judgment made on me racing my kids on the, the slide upwards. Like it was, it was based on my behavior, um, uh, which we shall call fun and not <laughs> immature, but you, you noticed I, I incorporated that in a, mm-hmm. yep. in, in a professional sort of way. <laughs> anyway, that was a complete side. Um, Total tangent. So let's get back on topic because <laughs> we do have <laughs> some more questions. Um, I think one of the ones that our friend, whose name starts with an A, asked <laughs> um, is about... BPA and canned fish and where she is or where some people are, they might not be able to find the BPA free ones, or maybe it's way more expensive and they're wondering if it's worth it. And then addition to that, the question that I think we all have um, is whether or not the BPA free is really just a catchphrase and that the alternative that they're using for BPA can also cause hormone disruption. Um, So, Ultimately, she asks, should I stick to fresh fish? And I think what she meant to say was, is sticking to fresh fish better? <laughs> but I won't speak for her. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, this was an interesting one. So um, I uh, wrote a blog post uh, a little while back about BPA and its impact as an endocrine disruptor. That really has been confirmed um, it also has some like scary other links. Um, it appears to be diabetogenic, which means it can increase the risk of diabetes. It appears to be linked to cardiovascular disease, to asthma, to some cancers, to some um, behavioral challenges like ADD. Um, and as I'm researching for my new microbiome book, there's actually a really compelling amount of science showing that BPA is terrible for the gut microbiome. It uh, reduces species diversity. It increases the growth of undesirable strains. It decreases the growth of probiotics. And that might be a mediator of of all of its um, impact on disease risk. Um, So uh, yeah, BPA is really terrible. Um, I think that uh, it's important to emphasize that Our dominant BPA exposure is through plastics use, not through BPA-lined cans. I mean, that certainly is a potential exposure point. It is added to um, a coating inside the can to stop especially um, acidic liquids like tomato juice from corroding the aluminum. So it increases the lifespan of the canned good. Um, And it's not ideal you can minimize your exposure by never heating food in the can, not letting the cans sit in a hot car, right? Not letting, not letting the cans get hot. Um, and by being very careful when you are 
removing food from the can so you're not um, like not scraping the edge with a, a knife or something like that. So if you scrape that coating, you're going to get more BPA into your food. Um, so BPA is not great. Um, but BPA alternatives in the, that like lining and canned goods, um, a lot of them are very minimally tested for safety. There's over 50 different BPA alternatives. Um, many of them have also been shown to be endocrine disruptors. Um, and there's a lot of unanswered questions. So like we have a lot more studies looking at BPA than, um, than, any of these other alternatives. And it right now, it's not clear if any of them are actually good alternatives. Um, and so it's, um, you know, definitely, I would say this falls under like a, that and the environmental impact, right? There's some really compelling reasons to reduce plastic use overall. Um, filter water, because one of the challenges of BPA is that it's in the water supply. Um, also, you know, just the way we eat, we're going to be eating fewer packaged goods because BPA is in a lot of different types of, of food packaging. Um, so that's going to be good. Um, and then, yeah, there's going to be some exposure with, with canned foods. The BPA-free cans may or may not be better. So I, you know, as I look at this research and understand, right, the benefits to the microbiome of fish and all the different things in fish that are good for the microbiome. Um, the, right, fish is one of the best foods that you can consume to reduce risk of heart disease. Uh, increasing fish consumption reduces risk of diabetes and asthma and um, behavioral problems. Like it, it's, it's a, you know, the food hat itself has a, a really strong um, link to reduced risk of all of the things that BPA has a link to increasing. Um, and I think that just that data by itself is, uh, and given that these are population studies. So, um, when you ask somebody how much fish they're consuming, it is a mix of fresh and canned and frozen and actually canned fish is still, the dominant type of fish that's consumed by Americans. When you start looking at American population studies, you know, this, this is, uh, th these are studies that look at pretty normal levels of exposure of BPA and fish. And so I think that that data makes a compelling case for the benefits of fish still outweighing the potential harm of BPA exposure. Um, and I think that, if you're making efforts to reduce BPA exposure from other places, um, you know, plastic food storage, um, plastic water bottles, um, uh, plastic wrap, like all of those different places where not just BPA, but the other plastic chemicals that can leach into food. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm like, I realize I'm listing some potentially BPA free plastics, but there's a whole pile of other compounds and plastics that seem to be also problematic. Um, so I would say reducing plastic use and where you can, right, frozen is going to be um, better than canned um, and still much more affordable than fresh. So where you can, you know, mix it up with some, some fresh and some frozen. Um, but overall, I think, again, the benefits outweigh the risks. I 
have come to that conclusion myself. So again, I enjoy hearing you tell me that I'm doing the right thing, (laughs) as I'm sure all of our listeners feel. But, you know, I feel personally like I've made so many changes in my life. And when I can find something in a can that's BPA-free, for example, coconut milk is one where I'm able to find several brands that are BPA-free and I purchase it that way. I don't worry about it. Like we use so few canned food goods um, that for when we went on a road trip, we brought Costco things of canned fish, right? Like a lot of canned fish because we had no access to fresh things on the road unless we were like eating out or going to a store and staying in a hotel. And did I like worry about it? No, because I'm doing other healthful things the majority of the time. Mm-hmm. Butcher box high quality before I left, butcher box high quality when I come back, eating out at a restaurant and getting local oysters when I can, right? Like I just, I feel like we all have this mentality of we want to do better with everything that we do, which is great, but we have to remember to not let perfection be the enemy of good. And if you are unable to either afford or find one canned good that's BPA free, don't lose sleep over it. That's, that's my philosophy. Like, don't lose sleep over whatever it is. <laughs> I no, I agree completely. Um, so the last uh, question that Alana or Elena or Lana, or maybe it's pronounced like in a completely our friend from way, Australia <laughs> um, asked was about the antibiotic use in farmed fish, and I think this is like the last piece. I, I often will meet people who um, only will only eat wild caught fish, and. Yes, wild cod is definitely the best. It's one of the reasons why we're so happy ButcherBox is sponsoring the show because they have made wild caught Alaskan salmon and scallops uh, affordable and convenient. But um, it is one of those things where I think that avoiding fish because wild caught fish is not monetarily accessible is probably doing more harm than consuming farmed fish. So there have been some studies looking at um, fish farming. And now the the challenge here is, um, you know, fish farms uh, can be in fairly contaminated waters where there's more environmental pollution. They are given grain-based feeds. They're not, you know, they're not necessarily the healthiest food for these fish. And then similar to um, feedlots, they're given, antibiotics are actually put into the water um, to keep the fish you know, we'll we'll use the quote unquote healthy, keep them from not dead. Um, And in order to make up for the fact that it's, you know, it's a, it's not an ideal living situation. So for sure, wild caught um, is better. There are, um, there are um, fisheries um, like fish farms that do have much better practices. And so, um, asking some questions. So if you go to a grocery store like Sprouts that has a fish counter or Whole Foods or even Kroger, my Kroger has a fish counter, and just ask the person behind the counter about where the fish comes from and how they're grown, they will have answers to your questions. And I know that you know Whole Foods especially has a pretty stringent criteria on how they source um, all of their, their seafood and meat for that matter. So um, it, that, that data is fairly accessible. But also um, in 
most Western countries, USA, Canada, um, European countries, um, I, I didn't see quotes about um, Australia, New Zealand, but I would, I would guess they tend to be fairly similar in terms of their environmental protections as um, other Western countries. Um, so, or, or Westernized countries, I should say. So, um, so in those countries, there are regulations on how much antibiotics can be used and how long they have to be discontinued um, to have a washout period before fish can be harvested. And so the, the, the problem is, is that antibiotic residues uh, are linked with all kinds of problems. Um, so if there isn't this washout period, um, then yes, like the, the antibiotic residues can can cause health problems. It can cause um, uh, some, um, it can even cause like allergies. Like if you are allergic, but it's, uh, I think, more concerning being linked to um, immune problems. So things like um, potential like cancer um, and uh, immunopathologists, but it's linked to uh, aplastic anemia, for example. So there, there are certainly antibiotic residues from fish farming that would not be good. Where we actually see this is, again, in developing nations where the practices are not as tightly regulated, um, where they don't have uh, a vet, for example, administering the antibiotics um, where they're not necessarily using the recommended dosage or following the label directions. Um, so they're using higher doses um, or higher concentrations in the water, basically, um, where they're not observing that washout period, that withdrawal period. Um, so that's where the higher residue could come up. So what this is, is right now, similar to um, the you know, measuring higher levels of heavy metals in fish farmed in developing nations. This is the same thing with antibiotic residues, um, except for with cadmium and lead, that was still below a level that has um, the potential to, to cause human harm. With antibiotics, it can be above. So, um, you know, in, in a couple of papers that I was seeing, you know, the, the take-home message was don't eat farmed fish when you're traveling. Um, to to developing nations because you aren't going to be able to trust the source. You know, wild caught fish will still probably be fine. Um, but this is definitely a concern in some areas of the world. I think for most of our listeners, where you're getting your farmed fish from, there's practices in place to make sure that there are, are no detectable antibiotic residues in that fish by the time it makes it onto your plate. And we're again talking about a um, food that is fantastically nutrient dense, um, that supports uh, your immune system, your detoxification systems, neurological health, uh, thyroid health, which means metabolic health. Um, and again, the benefits are awesome and the potential for harm is extremely low. I think for me, I'm aware of looking at labels when I buy them. So I, I like that you're talking more about it's just farmed or it's fresh caught. Like I feel like 
there's so much nuance to this and it's so hard to know everything, but just because it's wild caught doesn't mean it was sustainably caught. And that right. is something I care about. And so sometimes if I can't find sustainably sourced wild fish, I will look for um, well-raised farm fish. So for example, antibiotic free, free of food dyes, um, they're there can be farms for seafood that aren't catastrophically bad for you. And I feel like that's the thing is a lot of people think, oh, it's good if it's wild, it's bad if it's farmed. And there's more nuance to it than that. Mm -hmm. So, um, There's farming practices that are extremely, um, you know, just just like there's farming practices, right? Grass-fed beef. There is the fishing equivalent of grass-fed beef. And, um, and so I think that's really important to, to recognize. Um, and, uh, also if you're worried, if you don't feel like you're going to get good fish at your grocery store, guess what (laughs) podcast sponsor is going to deliver sustainably caught wild free of all the bad stuff fish direct to your door. I'm going to guess it's butcher box. It is butcher box. I love, I love ButcherBox. And our listeners can go to www.butcherbox.com slash thepaleoview and get an awesome deal for uh, new subscribers. And like we said at the top of, sh- of the show, if you took advantage of this deal when you heard about ButcherBox earlier, you can also add these things on to your boxes um, as add-ons, which is what... I do. And it sounds like Sarah, what you do do as well. So, uh, but those of you who haven't taken advantage, again, you can go to butcherbox.com slash the paleo view through September 5th for free scallops. And those are dry sea scallops. (laughs) So we've explained at the top of the show, um, plus free bacon for signing up. And if you're listening to this after that, you can still get a good deal by going to the same link. So thank you so much for joining us on this seafood rich episode of the Paleo View. We will be back again next week as always and look forward to hearing from you. If you would leave us a review on however you're listening to this podcast, we would be so, so grateful. Um, We actually had a comment from a listener come in regarding last week, and I just want to share it. Um, These things are not just great when you share them publicly because it helps other people find the show um, or if you refer people to the show and that kind of stuff. But when we hear feedback from you guys, it it's very special for us because while you have a connection and you're listening to us, I mean, I'm a podcast listener, Sarah's a podcast listener, we get it. You feel that connection and you're like, if I just met this person in real life, we'd be best oh, friends. I have a huge crush. I'm not going to tell everyone what podcast I, podcaster I have this huge crush on, but I, I know, I know we would be just <laughs> best. Friends. I know it in my heart. We are 100% compatible as besties. We would hang out all the time. If only I lived on the other side of the country and could just hang out with this person oh, so much. We love, love, get it. Love listen, person. I'm telling you, listen, Sarah's got girl, boy crush, who knows? But <laughs> Um, One of the things that means so much to us is when we hear back from you because that's the connection that we get. Otherwise, we we don't know who you are and how you're listening to us, but we love to hear it. So I want to share this um, 
message that I got from a listener who um, just warmed our heart. And it must have warmed Sarah's heart because when I sent it to her, she put it in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I did. So um, she says, I won't say her name, but she knows who she is because I didn't ask for her permission to share this. But Hi, Stacy. I just wanted to tell you I'm listening to the beginning of the last Paleo View podcast where you are giving an update about the little girl who has alopecia. And thank you so much for giving that update. I remember that show. I remember bawling my eyes out. I have alopecia too, and it got pretty bad towards the end of a really stressful job I had about a year and a half ago. AIP has definitely helped. So has less stress. I too am moving away from super strict AIP because after five months, I can tolerate, well, pretty much everything now. Not gluten. I'll be gluten-free for life. That's crazy to me. Two weeks into AIP and I broke down and had rice and had horrible reaction, eczema being the easiest way to tell if I was reacting. I never imagined healing to the point of reintroducing so many foods, but it's happened. Anyway, thanks for sharing the update. Alopecia can be hard to talk about and there is not that much info out there. So I just, so just thanks for getting the word out. So I wanted to share that not just because Thank you so much, listener, and the connection back. But also, as another point for those of you who are listening, who are on your journey with healing and feeling stressed out and feeling frustrated from not yet having progress, this is another point um, of five months of AIP and now being able to reincorporate so many things. So it's not just Sarah and I that have reincorporated. Um, There are a lot of people out there and it takes longer for some people, obviously, depending on, you know, the severity and all that stuff. But it was just so heartwarming to hear not only the emotional connection this person has to the show and, and hearing back from them, but also the positivity that hopefully all of you can have from the idea that it is possible to heal and to move forward with um, living your life on not so strict AIP um, and and being able to feel better from that short amount of time <laughs> relatively that hopefully you have to do it. I, I love, I love, 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 love reading comments like this. And I love seeing the different ways that you and I are able to communicate uh, with people and provide those resources. I I love seeing the different ways that we um, are able to share that information resonate. And one of the things that I, I really love about this podcast is that it's a, it's a way to talk about these types of like some often, okay. Yep. Super nerdy. Um, but like these, to me, I think are really, really important topics, um, that I want people to understand. I love that this allows us to, to talk about these things in in a different way than like writing a blog post or a book chapter, um, or even doing an online course. Like it's a really different way of communicating. And I love being able to get these types of feedback from listeners to, to really, um, help, um, help know that the work that we put into creating this podcast every week is, is landing and having an impact. So, uh, to anonymous person whose name shall not be shared because we don't have her permission. I mean, his or her permission to, to share it. Um, bags already out cats out of the bag, right? Her permission. Um, thank you. Thank you. Um, thank you for sharing that. And thank you to our listeners for being here and thank you to butcher box for sponsoring this episode. 
Be back again next week. Thank you for listening to The Paleo View. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes. You can also support us by shopping for our favorite paleo products on the sidebars of our individual websites or by donating through PayPal. How would you pronounce her name? A-L-A. Alana. Alana. There was an Alana, but it was Alana because, you know, in Canada we pronounce short A's like short A's as opposed to O's. Um, (laughs) But you're American now, so you can't talk trash about our vowels. So uh, there was an Alana in my elementary school. She was not a nice person. I assume this Alana is much nicer. Definitely. She's a podcast listener. There's no way she's not a nice person. All right. There's your blooper, Matt. Okay. Ready? What do you think the chances are that that Alana that I went to school with listens to the podcast? Like one in. Yeah. yeah, Like like, no. Yeah. Um, She might have grown in to be a nice person. I don't know. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.